0: Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chairman of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we are very pleased to have appearance number three on Butts and Guts, Dr. Michael Valente, who's an associate professor of surgery. He's also our program director for our colorectal surgery residency, and Mike also leads our HIPEC program here within the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Mike, welcome back to Butts and Guts. Thanks for having me again. So today we're going to talk a little bit about diverticular disease, but for those new listeners out there who haven't gone back and should to listen to your older episodes, just give us a little bit of background about yourself.
1: Sure. I was, uh, I'm was. i a staff surgeon here in the Department of Colorectal Surgery, been here for almost nine years now, born and raised in Cleveland. I'm, uh, I do everything from uh, benign diseases from hemorrhoids to rectal cancer to advanced uh, peritoneal cancer with uh, heated intraperitoneal uh, chemotherapy. So I kind of do the whole spectrum of colorectal diseases here
0: and we're absolutely glad to have you on board and so mike we're going to talk today about something that you know a lot of people have heard of kind of crosses a lot of different boundaries and that's diverticular disease let's just start way high and talk about terminology sure so how do we kind of differentiate between diverticular disease versus diverticulum versus diverticulosis versus diverticulitis
1: Sure. Very, uh, very common uh, scenario. Uh, diverticular disease is broadly broken up into diverticulosis, which is the presence of, uh, for lack of better term, pockets or outpouchings of the colon wall. Uh, diverticulosis is very, very common in America. Uh, estimates say 50 percent of People over the age of 50 will have diverticulosis, and others will say 80% of people 80 years and over in America will have diverticulosis, and then that may lead to a condition called diverticulitis, which is actual inflammation or an infection
0: of the colon. So about 25% of people at the high end of diverticulosis may have some bout of diverticulitis, but let's just talk about diverticulitis in general. That's what we're going to focus on here. So how does diverticulitis present? I, I, is it is is everybody gets sick from it or what is the complications associated with it? How do you break that type of stuff up?
1: So the vast majority of patients with diverticulitis may exhibit some symptoms of abdominal pain or uh, inability to maybe tolerate food. Um, there's a huge spectrum of disease, um, of symptom presentation with diverticulitis. Some folks have some mild abdominal pain that are treated with an oral antibiotic by their family doctor. Some patients are extremely sick on the other end of the spectrum who need to come to the hospital for intravenous IV antibiotics.
0: And some people, a a very low number, require surgery emergently. So, Mike, what type of problems or complications can diverticulitis cause?
1: Sure. The most common uh, you know, symptom or complication of diverticulitis is essentially bad pain in your lower belly, um, which prevents you to eat uh, or sometimes even drink. You have to be on IV fluids and IV antibiotics. Some levels of diverticulitis may have a situation called a perforation, where the colon actually opens up and secretes um, stool outside the colon wall, and an
0: abscess may form, and that may need to be get drained um, as well. And then... People who have repeated bouts over time, Um, is there any other things that can happen if you get recurrent bouts over and over and over again? Sure. It's actually something we see very often is
1: folks will have, um, like you said, repeated attacks of diverticulitis. Usually these are mild to moderate attacks. They're treated at home. They may have recurrent episodes, something that we call smoldering uh, diverticulitis, something that kind of never goes away with a repeated use of antibiotics. And those patients may ultimately require an elective operation to take care of the problem.
0: So one of the things that I was talking about uh, or had been reading about in the past is that we divide up diverticulitis into complicated and uncomplicated. And I know there's a lot of different definitions that people can talk about out there, but let's focus in on complicated diverticulitis. You talked a little bit about perforation, perforation, either meaning that they have a localized abscess where the body forms a boil next to the colon or down into the pelvis. Is there any other type of long-term complications or kind of complicated diverticulitis that can occur? Sure. If a colon
1: perforates and, and there's an abscess formation, that abscess uh, may uh, erode itself into other structures in the body, one of them being the, the bladder. So we have what we call a fancy term, colovesicular fistula, which is a connection between the colon and the bladder. That can happen. Um, another complication is a, a connection between the colon and the vagina in the female, a colovaginal fistula. Sometimes a, uh, the colon can make an abscess and go to the belly wall a colocutaneous fissure, all of those generally require an operation uh, to to cure the problem.
0: Yeah, and like other things, when the colon gets repeated inflammation over time, it can have the ability to kind of stenose or stricture down and you can get an obstruction associated. Mike, one one of the things that comes up a lot is the fact that Patients will ask me, they'll say, hey, every time I get some left lower quadrant abdominal pain, uh, I have that bout of diverticulitis right there. Mike, is that the case that this is always diverticulitis or what other things could this be?
1: It's a good question. Not not always. I think we may have a tendency to over treat diverticulitis. Uh, Potentially it could be something else going on. You know, the best treatment I I would say is make sure you go to your family doctor and if uh, you know, make sure
0: you've had an up-to-date colonoscopy as well. So truth or myth, if I have diverticulosis and not know that I have any symptoms? Correct. And so what are the common symptoms that are associated with diverticulosis and diverticulitis? Excellent. Diverticulosis very often has no symptoms, as we just said.
1: Uh, A condition of diverticulosis, which does occur, is sometimes bleeding. Uh, We could have gastrointestinal bleeding, sometimes pretty profound bleeding, which is almost always what we call self-limited. Well, it usually does stop, but it can be quite a bit of bleeding. That is very, uh, very uncommon, however. Diverticulitis symptoms um, usually begin with uh, some abdominal pain and cramping, maybe some nausea, sometimes even vomiting. Uh, Usually the patient has a difficulty time uh, eating,
0: Um, as well. And so how would a patient really truly get diagnosed with diverticulitis? We talked about the fact that not all left lower quadrant pain is diverticulitis. It could be just irritable bowel syndrome, cramping, diarrhea of other causes. We know all that, but let's just say we want to focus in and say, I'm going to definitively make a diagnosis of diverticulitis. How does one go about that?
1: Nowadays, usually that's performed uh, with a a CT scan or or a CAT scan, and that's usually the best way that we can uh,
0: define that there's an active uh, attack of diverticulitis going on. So do you have to have a colonoscopy to have uh, a diagnosis of diverticulitis? no so
1: usually when the patient is having a an attack of diverticulitis we would not want to do a colonoscopy in that setting because it could be potentially a little bit dangerous because the colon's a little bit angry Um, but after the episode of diverticulitis has calmed down we do recommend uh, having a colonoscopy performed to confirm the diagnosis
0: mike what do you make about the patients who say you know i i know that you say that i can't necessarily have repeated bouts of diverticulitis, but I got antibiotics. I had some leftover or somebody gave me diverticulitis and I got better. Does that surprise you at all? It does not surprise me at all. Do we know ever have a reason exactly why that's the case? Uh, we do not. Yeah, I think that in general, there's lots of different things we don't know about the gastrointestinal tract, but it is not unsurprising that people may respond with various symptoms with diverticulitis or not having a condition associated with diverticulitis. So, the mere fact that you get better with antibiotics, we need to be able to determine what the underlying cause for that is. So, let's, speaking of more of these truth or myths, let's talk a little bit about um, the treatment of diverticulitis. Truth or myth, surgery is always needed to treat diverticulitis. Myth. And let's expand a little bit about that. I would say the vast majority of
1: patients that I see in my office do not require an operation. Most of them will get better on their own with um, sometimes antibiotics may help. Time, uh, bowel rest, we call it, you know, not pushing the bowel uh, with too much high fiber foods, kind of being on a low fiber diet and just time. And most patients resolve quite well. These are the uncomplicated patients.
0: I tell patients a lot of times the fact that we think about exercise and if you, we know that exercise is good for our bodies. And if you want to build up your muscles, you may want to exercise, but when the colon is that that exercise for the colon is fiber, but just like if you have a pulled muscle, you may wanna hold back on exercise when you have a bout of diverticulitis. Maybe go on low fiber and not high fiber foods. So who does need surgery for diverticulitis? Great question. And this
1: is probably one of the most complicated office visits I have because there's such a wide spectrum of presentations. As we talked about earlier, the complicated patients are more prone to having a surgery Um, But not every patient who has an abscess would require an operation. But those folks with, you know, repeated attacks, we talked about that smoldering diverticulitis where it never really goes away. Those are a good candidate for an operation. People with those uh, fistulas or complications that we talked about uh, will need an operation almost uniformly. And then there's a small percentage of folks who come into the hospital very sick Uh, with a bad perforation or hole in their colon, those folks usually require
0: an immediate or urgent operation, but those are the uh, minority of patients that present. So let's just talk about the elective setting, not the people who are really sick and urgent. What is the actual operation? What do you do in the operating room and what can people expect? Sure. Nowadays, very
1: often we'll be performing these operations in the laparoscopic approach with the camera and the small incisions. And generally speaking, two to three hour operation, the uh, sigmoid colon is the most common location of diverticulitis in the left lower part of the belly, the sigmoid colon. We remove that section uh, with the camera and and the laparoscopic instruments. We reconnect the colon uh, back together through various uh, approaches, and usually the patient, on an average, may be expected to stay in the hospital between two to three, maybe four days at the most.
0: And you talked a little bit about uh, the fact that the sigmoid colon is most common. Can diverticulitis occur in other areas? It can occur in other areas, but I would
1: say 90% plus of uh, diverticulitis attacks occur in that sigmoid colon.
0: Patients ask me a lot, I have a problem with my colon colon. Do I need to have a bag? Do I have to wear a stoma, an ostomy, any one of these different terms? Excellent question. And, and always on the, uh,
1: the thoughts of all the patients, I would say in the elective setting, the vast majority, 99% of patients do not require a bag or a stoma. Uh, in the emergency setting, that's a much different uh, situation where the chance of having an ostomy or a bag are much higher if it's an emergency and it's a life or death situation. But overall, the chance of having a stoma, either temporary or permanent, are very low for an elective operation.
0: So let's say I'm going to do whatever I can. I've either had about or I'm listening to this and I'm thinking I need to change around my lifestyle because I don't want to have any colon operation. What are some of the lifestyle choices, whether it be diet, exercise, or whatever that can help prevent diverticular disease or diverticulitis? Um, Healthy lifestyle, of course, as we discussed, but good eating.
1: So high fiber, low fat, and and the things that we want to feed the colon are, you know, roughage, vegetables, bran, oats, uh, those high fiber uh, substances. Exercise, of course, you know, reducing the sedentary lifestyle uh, will make us uh, much healthier overall. And this is good colorectal cancer prevention as well.
0: You know, you mentioned that in uh, kind of a a passing way, but Mike, is diverticulitis, does that have any sort of a connection to cancer? You had mentioned in the past that we need to have a scope on these patients after they recover from diverticulitis. Is it because they have underlying cancer? Or what's the rationale for that?
1: No, not, not necessarily. They, they generally do not have an underlying cancer. But what we have to make sure is if, if the patient has a bout of diverticulitis and they never had a colonoscopy per se, that patient definitely needs a colonoscopy because cancer can mimic what diverticulitis does. It can present very similarly. Uh, you know, Also, if that patient had a colonoscopy five, six years ago and now they have diverticulitis, diverticulitis, that patient should also get rechecked up with a new colonoscopy just to make sure that there is no underlying cancer.
0: But diverticulitis in and of itself is not connected to cancer. It is not. So uh, huge topic. We could spend probably two hours going over the finer details on this. But what is your kind of your take home message for listeners regarding diverticular disease?
1: It starts off with a healthy lifestyle, eating well, being active, It's very common. Diverticulosis is is seen in the vast majority uh, of patients after you reach a certain age. Diverticulitis is common, but the vast majority of patients do not require an operation. With that being said, though, please make sure you follow up with your family doctor. We need to make sure we have the correct diagnosis, uh, either via a colonoscopy to confirm that there is diverticulosis or a CAT scan to confirm that there is diverticulitis. And, you know, there's no question that you should probably talk to a surgeon if you have repeated bouts of diverticulitis to see what your options are and to see if surgery is something that
0: uh, may benefit you. So, as you know, uh, we like to end all of our uh, podcasts here with some quick hitters. You've been on here before, so a couple of new questions for you. So, what type of music, if any, do you listen to in the operating room?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I like rock and roll music. I like uh, classical music as well. And, Mike, what's your favorite cartoon character? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Um, Well, we've been watching a lot of uh, old-school Transformers with my seven-year-old right now, so probably Transformers from
0: 1984-85. And the best advice you can give to someone listening to this that wants to go into surgery?
1: You should definitely do it. It's been the best career choice I
0: could ever possibly pick, and you'll, uh, you'll work hard, but you'll be happy. And you've told us in the past before what you like about Cleveland, but what's a hidden treasure somewhere in the state of Ohio?
1: It's a good question. There is a place in Southern Ohio called the Great Serpent Mound, which is a Indian uh, burial ground of the Hopewell and Adina tribes of Southern Ohio, which not many people really know about, but it's really interesting
0: archaeology. That's fantastic that you could come up with that <laughs> off the top of your head. So for more information on diverticular disease, please visit Cleveland Clinic's health library at clevelandclinic.org health. That's clevelandclinic.org slash health, H-E-A-L-T-H. And to speak with a specialist in the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute, please call 216-444-7000. That's 216-444-7000. Mike, thanks for joining us again on Butts and Guts. My pleasure. Thank you. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.